Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. By now you know Nick Saban is retiring. That's huge news, and Georgia fans have a lot of takes and opinions on it. We're going to share some of ours here, there as well. And obviously, when you've had the kind of you know fight for supremacy that Georgia and Alabama have been having the last few years, you know, you're going to have a little bit of back and forth stuff with the fan bases. I enjoy doing that. I, I will do some of that on the show today, no doubt. Bama fans will give it back in kind, and that's just sort of the way that it goes with you know college football, especially in the SEC. I love you know taking my little pot shots at Bama from time to time. I enjoy sharing those things with you, and I think Bama fans enjoy coming right back on it. And yet there's also sort of a bigger picture perspective that uh, Nick Saban's retirement does, I believe, to a certain degree, transcend some of the basic back and forth stuff that goes on among fans. Uh, I don't mind telling you that I find Nick Saban to be pretty inspiring. And I don't have any, you know, uh, dispute whatsoever with anyone who says that Nick Saban's the best college football coach of all time. I believe you could take it a step further to say Nick Saban, I think, may be the best coach, period, in any sport ever in terms of the impact he had on the sport that uh, he's been a part of. I think that's how good Nick Saban has been. He's certainly been a formidable foe for Georgia throughout the years. And, you know, I used the word inspiring a moment ago. You know, to me, if you'll allow me to say this just for a second, I think sometimes our society we make superheroes out of really successful people in a way that I don't believe is helpful for society overall. In other words, think about like the tech moguls, you know, whichever your favorite tech mogul kind of is. We sort of treat those people as if they have some sort of superhuman intelligence that makes them different than regular people. And, you know, they have a, a, sort of an ability that we couldn't even aspire to. And so, therefore, we sort of treat them as they're like separate from us, superhero type people. We do that as well with celebrities, whether it be athletes or sometimes, you know, uh, movie stars, something like that, that somehow they've hit some sort of genetic lottery. And so, therefore, uh, they're apart from us. They're separate from us. They're like superheroes. Those of us who are just mere mortals can't even uh, can't even imagine what it must be like to have you know that level of uh, talent or ability or whatever else. We do that with famous, successful people sometimes. But when a guy like Nick Saban comes along, I think that Saban reminds us of something pretty important: that a good bit of success in almost any field is just based on your level of determination. A good bit of success in any field is just sort of based in your level of commitment. That almost anyone could be Nick Saban. He's got some intelligence and probably had some luck along the way and some things like that. But but ultimately, Saban's true success was based on his willingness to commit to that success and his determination to see that through all the way to the end. This is something that he's talked about plenty. And I do think that's somewhat inspiring. And so while I love kind of treating Saban as a rival or an enemy or a nemesis, whatever else, the truth is, is while Saban's been having the success that he's had over the course of his career and good enough at times to sort of share thoughts on the success formula overall, I've sort of found that to be, you know, somewhat in, in, in inspiring. I, I think that that Saban's story. Now, listen, the results are not going to be replicable for everybody in every situation, but the so-called Saban process that he made famous, that's the kind of thing that anyone 
could try to copy. In fact, plenty of college football programs have tried to copy it, uh, not to the same level of success, but the actual formula itself, the actual blueprint, the actual process is on full display for everyone to see. And it's not some magic trick. It's not some genetic lottery. It's not some superhuman level of intelligence. It's just sort of a regular guy from West Virginia who was fully committed to the idea of being the very best he possibly could be. And I think we all take something kind of uh, positive from that, even those of us who would say that, you know, over the course of years, we've, you know, found Saban a little distasteful, you know, you certainly are inspired by the success that he's had. Now, that said, I think it's been really interesting to watch Georgia fans and their reaction to the Saban news over the last, you know, not quite 24 hours as of yet when we're recording this, but uh, but just over the course of the last few hours. There seems to be you know, a level of celebration going on in some pockets of you know Georgia fandom on this, some pockets of Dog Nation. Perhaps not quite as out there as like the Auburn fans who are rolling Tumor's Corner and some of that silly stuff, but there has been some celebration you know from some Georgia fans. And to one degree, I sort of get that, but to another degree, you know, I would sort of say this is that. I don't think Georgia needs Nick Saban's retirement for this program to be as good as it possibly can be. In fact, Nick Saban was fully uh, employed as the Alabama head football coach in 2021 and 2022. And as you know, Georgia won national championships in both of those years. So Saban's retirement, I don't believe, necessarily unlocks some new level of achievement for Georgia. They were doing just fine as a program, even when Saban is employed. Now, could there perhaps be more winning along the way? Uh, of course, there probably could. But, you know, Georgia's not one of those programs the way that maybe Auburn would be that needs Saban to go away so Georgia can have success Georgia has had plenty of success even in the last couple of years even with Nick Saban there if you're a Georgia fan and you want to celebrate something here today this is what I think you celebrate is that your coach is not 70 whatever years old and your coach is not at the end of his career your coach is very much at the beginning of his career he's only eight years into it here very very young man very very um uh, energetic of course I'm talking about Kirby Smart and and the idea that Kirby Smart can now have potentially if he wants it decades more success here at UGA and still be a long way away from anywhere near being what could be the end of his career if that's what he chooses to be if you're a Georgia fan that's the thing I think today you ought to want to celebrate here not the fact that oh Saban's gone so therefore we can be good Georgia was already good in fact Georgia's been great Saban is gone but Kirby Smart's not going anywhere for a very long time if you're a Georgia fan today that is what I think you celebrate now speaking of Smart and Kirby a lot of folks have kind of pointed this out there was a pretty poignant moment uh before the SEC championship game back in Atlanta in December where these two guys obviously knowing each other very well Kirby I think probably ended up working for Saban about as long as any assistant coach has and they shared kind of an emotional moment there where Saban kind of uh, revealed to Kirby, you know, that he feels like he's getting a little too old. And Kirby had some very nice things to say. In fact, let me let you see and hear this as it's been shared by the SEC Network on social media here. Kind of a, I would say, pretty heartfelt exchange between Kirby Smart and Nick Saban prior to the SEC Championship. Take a look at this. Uh, you're, right, you're right about one thing. I'm too old for this yeah, yeah. Uh, y'all did a great job this year. Nobody's done as good a job as you have. This long, this to me, that's good. Try to enjoy it, man. Hell of a coach. Appreciate all you did for me. Hard not to be moved by that. Um, listen, I, I think that's genuine. I mean, these are coaches that are where the camera's on them, and sometimes you perform in front of the camera the way that you think you're supposed to, but... 
these are two guys that kind of know what the cost is. You know, they count the cost in in their own way, in their own jobs. They know what it takes, Kirby, to see Saban do it as long as he has. Saban to see Kirby have success as quickly as he has. They know what it takes. They share that moment there. And I would say that's, you know, pretty moving overall. Now, it also leads into another win for Saban against Kirby and what turns out to be the final matchup between the two, and I do get that. And I guess to kind of wrap up this portion of our discussion, I want to say this this way. You know, I mentioned a moment ago, if you're a Georgia fan, you don't need to be celebrating Nick Saban's retirement because of what it does for you. Georgia was already great, but the Alabama fan, I know, is going to pop in here and say, but yeah, but he only ever beat Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart only ever beat Nick Saban the one time. He only did that the one time. And that's one of those things that Alabama fans on this particular day, the uh, retirement of Saban and the new era for that program, they're going to try to hold that over uh, on a Georgia fan. And here's what I'm here to tell you. In the kind of fun, good-natured, back-and-forth stuff that goes on between fan bases, if you're a Georgia fan, I think you need to understand the context of that argument and sort of see it for what it is and see it for what it is. The Alabama fan is going to say, the one win for Kirby against Saban and the you know the larger number of wins that Saban had against Kirby that's like the ultimate checkmate in this discussion but I'm here to tell you right now you know that is simply not the case that in actuality and this is the thing that Georgia fans ought to remember and this is the thing that Georgia fans ought to give back when you're having these good-natured discussions back and forth with the Alabama fans the real issue about you know Kirby Smart only beating Nick Saban one time I would say is really more about the small number of times they've actually coached against each other more so than anything else you know this year in September was supposed to be the very first ever real regular season matchup in a non-pandemic year between Kirby Smart and Nick Saban we've never had one of those in the Kirby Smart era this was supposed to be it this year Nick Saban's not going to be there so would Kirby Smart have had more chances to, to beat Nick Saban if they coached more in the regular season? I would certainly say there's a chance that's true because Kirby Smart's had a habit of winning more of his regular season games in recent years than Nick Saban has. Plus, when you look at a couple of times in which you know uh, Georgia has lost to Alabama in the SEC championship, what is sort of obscured by that is the number of times in the Kirby Smart era that Georgia has won the SEC championship game when Nick Saban and Alabama were nowhere to be found, like 2017, like 2022. These were years in which Georgia was good enough to win the SEC championship, but Alabama wasn't good enough to win its own division to be there for that game. That's more opportunities for a Georgia win against Alabama, but Alabama didn't qualify to play you know, in the game there at uh, that particular time. And when you go back to you know, the heartbreak of the 2017 national championship game, the heartbreak of the 2018 SEC championship game. These are truly, you know, tough losses if you're a Georgia fan to take. But it's also important to remember coming into those seasons just how much larger the stature was of Alabama compared to Georgia. The fact that Georgia came so close to winning only to come up a little bit short at the end I think does not speak to the bulletproof nature of the Alabama program. It speaks to how quickly Kirby Smart was building up Georgia overall. The fact that in his second year as a football coach, in his second year at Georgia, he already essentially had Georgia playing on equal footing to Alabama tells you how quickly things were happening in Georgia, not how long they were having to wait. And the idea that finally in the 2021 National Championship game, Georgia overtook Alabama, won that, and won the next two national championships sort of speaks to the amazing pace with which Kirby Smart has built this Georgia program to something that has stood on equal footing uh, compared to Alabama. And yeah, I know they'll say, but what about this December? What about the Alabama win? Here's the thing. 
if the only thing that they, meaning Alabama fans, have over you is the idea that a 29-game winning streak, the longest ever in the SEC, came to an end, if that's all they have over you, ha, 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 you couldn't win 30 games in a row, if that's what they've been uh, kind of backed into a corner on in terms of their argument against you, and that tells me everything I need to know, that Georgia's doing plenty of winning, and the argument they're trying to make isn't as much of a winner as they think that it probably is. So bottom line in all of this, the Nick Saban era has come to an end. It's inspiring because of how great he was, and yet everything that is great eventually comes to an end. But the reign of Kirby Smart is not ending anytime soon. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. We're happy to have you with us. 9.45, we're live, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. Uh, we take your comments there. Normally, we're live at 10 a.m. For now, as you know, we're kind of doing some pre-record stuff to make the show run a little bit more smoothly, so we appreciate your patience on that, but obviously, we're recording it here the morning of, and we'll be back live again before the show is done for our R.S. Andrews cooldown at the end of the day here today. Radio, of course, uh, Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref. Podcast, you know that. All the platforms there. Thank you so much for your continued support of our podcast. Boy, we really appreciate all of that. And a huge thanks to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp who make today's show possible. Your source for Georgia divorce. And, you know, it's one of those things where Meriwether and Tharp has been serving folks in the Atlanta area and serving them well for such a long time there is now a demand across the entire state to get that same level of service whether in savannah or coming soon in athens you know when you're uh outside the atlanta area you want the same level of care during a divorce process that meriwether and thar provides and that's why you know we've said for a while your source for georgia divorce but now the new website reflects that georgiadivorceteam.com georgiadivorceteam.com you can go there you can find out all the free resources that Meriwether and Tharp has had for a long time blog posts podcasts things like that to educate you about the divorce process now when I say the word divorce I don't say it lightly because I know what a weighty subject that is one of the most you know uh, I guess nerve-wracking and stress-inducing things you may ever have to go through in fact wisely you've probably tried to avoid that or put that off for as long as you possibly can try to find some way to salvage the relationship that you're in and yet sometimes reality has to be confronted that the next step is divorce and while i can't take the pain of that away from you i can give you an advocate to walk on your side through this process and our friends at meriwether and tharp are that now when you go to their website georgiadivorceteam.com one of the things you're going to see is uh, an array of options for you as a way of getting some cost certainty and how the divorce process is going to work for you because different divorces require different things. Some things are really simple and straightforward. And for you, uh, a DIY option might be there where you can kind of mostly handle this yourself for a very you know small fee. And Meriwether and Tharp can uh, help you out with that. Other people kind of want a little bit more uh, hands-on relationship with their divorce attorney. And Meriwether and Tharp offers you a couple of models there on that, including the M&T assisted model, which, as I said before, with the idea of cost certainty in mind, they give you a couple of different options for how you might pay for that. There's a subscription service you can kind of pay monthly as your divorce process is ongoing. Or if you want something that's a little bit more of a flat fee, they can offer that for you there as well, including some of the great services they can provide for you as you make sense of this divorce process. So please, find them online. It's georgiadivorceteam.com. georgiadivorceteam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. All right, we are going to get uh, today in place of Terrence Edwards normally joining us on Thursday. Terrence not able to be with us here today. 
we are going to get uh, Mike Griffith uh, back on the show today. We were short with Mike yesterday because some of the stuff we'd pre-recorded with Mike was related to Jade Maeva, and obviously, you know, that story has kind of changed a lot. So we took that out of the show. We'll have more of Mike today kind of getting big picture into how all of this is going to play out with uh with nick saban kind of what's next for alabama how this impacts georgia we'll do a lot of that with mike here coming up in a moment prior to that around the doghouse similar type of thing and i think the immediate part of the impact on georgia here it's probably fair to ask what this means for georgia co-defensive coordinator glenn schumann schumann is an alabama graduate schumann is someone who is working as a kind of entry-level staffer at alabama prior to Kirby Smart taking the Georgia job in 2016. I think that Schumann is a rising star in the coaching ranks. He's obviously been a tireless recruiter. Georgia's inside linebacking recruiting, that's the position that Schumann's responsible for, has been as recruited as well as any position has across any program in all of college football. And he's obviously a sharp defensive mind as well. So uh, perhaps on a couple of fronts, you know, Schumann could be of interest to Alabama, and perhaps, you know, Schumann's alma mater is of some interest to him. To give you some extra context on this, let's go back to SEC Media Days here uh, this past summer. Kirby Smart speaking about Schumann, the story of how he got to be at Georgia, and the value he brings to the Georgia program. This is Kirby on Schumann from July. First off, Glenn Schumann's an incredible man and person. You know, he's a graduate of Alabama. He came there. He came there on the Bear Bryant scholarship. His dad played football at Alabama. He's the son of a football coach. Uh, he's extremely bright. He's extremely passionate. I rely heavily on Glenn for input on practice schedules, uh, defensive design, uh, thinking outside the box. There's not a time that when I think of who can I ask on my staff that understands what we want and what we need, Glenn Schumann's that guy. He's very talented. You know, and, and Glenn Schumann will be the first to admit he, he, he came to the University of Georgia without ever getting an on-the-field coaching position, and I was very confident in his role to do that. What has he done with that? He has produced one of the most productive inside linebacker rooms in the country, and uh, he, 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 he's one of the people that, that really believes in growth being a part of his process, and he continues to grow to this day. So let me give you two things in that Kirby clip because I do believe that Kirby clip gives you some interesting context on kind of how, you know, Schumann perhaps plays into all of this. A, he is an Alabama graduate, and so therefore there might be that gravitational pull back to the alma mater. We were saying this a little bit the other day when Kevin Steele uh, announced his retirement as a precursor now Nick Saban announcing his retirement. So perhaps for Schumann, you know, the idea of being a little bit of an emotional connection to your alma mater would certainly make sense. That might be true, but the flip side of that is Kirby Smart says while he was at Alabama, you know, kind of a Bear Bryant scholarship recipient, the truth is it was also Georgia that gave him his first on-field coaching job and Kirby Smart who gave him his first on-field coaching job. So therefore, there might be some additional loyalty to UGA because of the way in which he's grown as a coach while being at Georgia. But the other part of that that Kirby mentions is, is you know when he's asked a question about Glenn Schumann goes into that kind of detail he's saying oh he's I'm paraphrasing here but oh he's so integral to our process he's such a great you know you know value to all to us you know clearly there's that need to kind of boost Schumann up because you know what the um what the caricature that could pretty easily be drawn is of 
well, Schumann's just a guy who's an understudy. This is really Kirby Smart's defense, the same way at one point in time people would have said that about Kirby working under Nick Saban. This is really Kirby Smart's defense. Schumann may be a good young coach, good recruiter, but this is Kirby Smart's defense, and Will Muschamp's there. This may be Will Muschamp's defense. In other words, the young coach, how responsible is he really for the success that uh, George is having? It almost kind of reminds me a little bit of if you follow the NFL, this past year we saw Eric Bieniemy, who had been offensive coordinator with the Kansas City Chiefs, go to Washington trying to get away from Andy Reid because the thought was, well, as long as Andy Reid's the head coach working with Patrick Mahomes, we're not really quite so sure how much uh, respect and success uh, Eric Bieniemy should receive and how much of that success he's really responsible for, given the fact that Andy Reid is thought to be this great offensive mind and any offensive success is probably actually a result of Andy Reid more so than Eric Bieniemy. So Bieniemy was saying, well, I got to get away from Andy Reid so I can go make a name for myself as a coach does perhaps uh Glenn Schumann think the same way if he did he wouldn't be the first coach to think that but we don't have any evidence right now that's necessarily the case in fact the evidence we do have would suggest what Kirby Smart said in that clip is true that Schumann because this is the spot where he got his first on-field coaching job and because of the close relationship that he has with Kirby Smart seems that Schumann is happy here and content to stay here perhaps uh I will also say that in terms of the early chatter about who could be the replacement as head coach at Alabama, we've seen Schumann show up on someone like the gambling odds and on some of the list that some of the national reporters are putting out. But thus far, you know, it's been mostly guys with like current head coaching experience or previous head coaching experience who seem to be being talked about the most there. So we think that Schumann is a rising star in the coaching ranks, much the same way that um, that uh, uh, Dan Lanning, the previous Georgia defensive coordinator, would have been in the past. But in terms of being ready in the eyes of the hiring staff there at Alabama, Greg Byrne and others to kind of step into the role as Alabama uh, head coach here right now the early cheddar would suggest maybe not that's not quite the case for Schumann but obviously if you're looking for an immediate impact on Georgia from the Saban news keeping your eye on Glenn Schumann would seem to make some sense and hoping to hold on to to Glenn Schumann and Georgia is clearly something the dogs want to do we'll make that around the doghouse here for you today on Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp now before our show is done today we're going to get more into detail about who truly might be candidates for the Alabama job uh, the impact this has on the Alabama players and perhaps Georgia's interest in some of them. We'll talk about that. We'll also celebrate a big win last night for Georgia basketball. This is by far and away, I would say, the best Georgia basketball team in the Dog Nation Daily era. So we'll have some fun with that before we're done. But for now, on more of the kind of subject matter and the talking points here related to Nick Saban, specifically its impact on Georgia, let's do all of that right now. Special guest on a Thursday, Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp, we'll talk to Mike Griffith here in the aftermath of the Nick Saban news. We did some of this on video last night. We'll re-rack it here, though, for a little bit of a different audience. Uh, Mike, I want to talk about, you know, kind of what this means for college football overall, what this means uh, for Georgia. Let me do the Georgia part of this for a moment. We'll kind of broaden it out before we're done. I think the most immediate way in which this could impact Georgia is somehow uh, Glenn Schumann, the Alabama graduate, co-defensive coordinator at UGA, somehow gets caught up in this news cycle. Early days here, we haven't heard too much of that yet. How much do you think that Schumann 
could be involved either as a possible candidate to become head coach at Alabama or perhaps a very pricey new defensive coordinator to pair with whoever Alabama does hire at head coach, kind of going back home to his alma mater and perhaps getting a chance to sort of chart his own path. Do you think there's any chance the Schumann stuff shows up in this story at all? Well, I mean, there's always a chance, and, you know, Schumann is a well-respected young coach, and, um, you know, young coaches like new challenges. Um, but at the same time, Brandon, I mean, this is, you know, Georgia's in a better position than Alabama. Georgia had the number one recruiting class. Georgia's the preseason number one. Glenn's got a young family here, um, you know, and he had, he's had opportunities to leave, and he's a young guy, and I don't know that – the Alabama position right now, following Saban, I mean, you know, the old saying, you don't want to be the next guy, you want to be the next guy that follows the next guy. Now, I wonder if a guy like Dan Lanning gets a job, if Schumann might be a candidate, but wouldn't he bring his Oregon staff with him? I, I think he probably would, and, and Tosh Lepoy is a guy that has been at Alabama before. So I, I don't think it affects Georgia in a negative way in the least. Um and the most positive way is, you know, maybe the SEC schedule makers are, will finally see fit to let Alabama play at Georgia because clearly um, it wasn't going to happen as long as Saban was there. He, Alabama, Georgia's got to play there again this year, Brandon, and they just played there in 2020. I'm still trying to unpack why it wasn't Alabama's turn to come to Athens. So I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think um, – I could be wrong. I mean, maybe Glenn Schumann just wants to, you know, get out from Kirby Smart, but I don't sense that from the staff. I – I sense a lot of harmony. I, I see Schumann out front, um, even as Will Muschamp works with him. Um, I see a really talented Georgia team uh, that Glenn has helped build. So um, I, I don't think so. One of the things you and I talked about on video a little bit last night was, you know, at one point in time, if Saban retired, the obvious name was Dabo Sweeney, Alabama grad. He'd won two national championships. It was just the easiest thing for anyone to sort of slot in to this discussion. But, you know, time changes things and time has passed since that was kind of an obvious point to make. And I think we now exist in a world and I'm not trying to be snarky. I'm not trying to be, you know, trollish. I don't think that Dabo Sweeney is of a level as a coach to get this job. Clemson has not been in the playoffs since 2020, coaching in a much easier league. You know, the idea of a 2018 national championship for Clemson, Dabo Sweeney second, that seems like an entirely different universe from where college football is right now. I mean, at one point in time, I think Alabama sort of thought of itself as the kind of program that could flex and take this championship coach away from Clemson. At this stage, Mike, I have to sort of assume that Alabama no longer wants him. Well, I mean, that's a broad statement. There's, uh, you know, I don't know who Alabama is, right? I think there's parts of Alabama that do want him. The, the question is who's making the call. You know, is the money making the call? Is Paul Bryant Jr. involved? Uh, is this a Greg Byrne hire? Um, you know, and, and as we take this, I think they probably already have a pretty good idea. Jimmy Sexton is a really powerful guy that controls a lot of these sorts of things and directs a lot of his clients. Um, you know, what Dabo did at Clemson um, was beat everybody with the new football building and the, and the family atmosphere, and Georgia followed closely behind with their new building and even more connectedness and better recruiting and a better staff. Uh, and, then, and then Michigan took it up another level, and they had the best program in the country. So, you know, the game continues to change, and I don't. I'm not going to say that Dabo couldn't change with the game. I would tell you that the resources in Clemson don't match Georgia's. They don't match Alabama's. I think Dabo could win it 
at Alabama. Um, that said, I would agree with you that you know that his brand you know isn't what it was on the, after winning two national titles. Um, that's for certain. Um, I, I, as far as who measures up to the Alabama job, some of the guys that do don't want to leave their program. Um, you know that you, Kirby Smart does, but he doesn't want to leave Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some people would say Steve Sarkeesian, but Texas is probably a better job than Alabama right now, particularly when you consider the resources and the unrealistic expectations that whoever takes that job uh, will have cast upon them. So um, I think your point's well made on Dabo. Uh, I, I wonder, um, you know, if he'll even get an interview, because I think this process is really far along, Brandon. I, I don't think this is a surprise uh, to the powers that be in Tuscaloosa. You know, Saban's been coached at Alabama now for quite some time. There's a lot of folks in our audience that are young enough. They perhaps don't have much of a memory of Alabama pre-Nick Saban. But that kind of period of time after Gene Stallings, nearly 90s, before Saban got the job, and there were a lot of fits and starts for Alabama and a lot of years in which Alabama was losing six and seven games, and some years even you know more than that. I think I have a hard time processing exactly what – the Alabama program is going to be with Nick Saban no longer as head coach. It's clearly one of the you know biggest name brands in college football, no matter who's at the helm. But a lot of the success that Alabama has had, I have to assume, was kind of particular to Saban because Alabama wasn't really having a ton of that before Saban got here. Long story short, how good do you think the Alabama program still is with someone other than Nick Saban leading it? Well, that's really interesting. I guess the closest comparison is Steve Spurrier, the way he dominated the 1990s at Florida. Um, you know, he was every bit as dominant uh, at the SEC level. Uh, I think Coach Spurrier won six or seven SEC titles in 12 years, and um, and and wasn't you know what was he five or six years removed from his last title in 2001 when he left? I think uh, what Saban's three years removed. That's you know the interesting thing to me when we talk about this is that well he's gone. He didn't really go out on top. No, not really. Uh, they haven't won a title in three years. Um, Georgia has won the last two titles representing the SEC. Um, Saban was on the way down. Um, it, you know, uh, the dynasty was over. Um, but, but to your point, uh, it's hard to it's hard to see. You know, Florida. You know, we all thought you know somebody would take over at Florida. Uh, you know, I, gosh, Brandon. You know, how many people can even tell you who the next head coach was after Steve Spurrier? Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody said that Tennessee could win. That without Philip Fulmer, that anybody could win an SEC title. They had the facilities and all the talent. And Lane Kiffin came in there and in one year dropped a nuclear bomb on it with NCAA uh, issues and and um, you know issues off the field that you know people still talk about. So it, you know it's not automatic that a program carries on if that's what you're getting at. Uh, I think there's something to be said for that. Now I will say this again. I, I think this is this has been a process. And I think this has been coming, and I think Greg Byrne had both eyes wide open. I think there's a plan in place. Um, I think Dan Lanning is the best young coach yeah. in the country, the best investment anybody could make. I don't know if Dan wants to step into that and leave Oregon. Maybe, maybe not. Um, hard to say. If they get Dan Lanning, I think that's scary. I think it's scary because I'm going to tell you, Brandon, I think Dan Lanning has more energy uh, and more ability to handle today's today's game than Nick Saban did. That's the scary hire for Georgia. Yeah, I'm going to go into more detail on this later on in the show, but as a Georgia fan, Lanning is the coach that I would least want Alabama to hire. That's the, you know, the, the guy that causes me the most trouble as a Georgia partisan is probably Lanning. Not to say that a, 
a Sarkeesian or a Kiffin or someone like that, if he would be the guy, couldn't be successful. But Lanning, to me, is the most turnkey of all the options. I think he's already built Oregon into a big-time program. I believe that Oregon may be the best program in the Big Ten here uh, over the course of the uh, next couple of years. I think that Lanning is one of the real rising stars and perhaps maybe the story of this past season because, you know, I know Kalen DeBoer is the guy that, you know, got to the national title game, but in terms of long-term staying power, I'm not quite so sure that, that Lanning didn't put more of that on display so as someone who wants Georgia to be the best it can be and doesn't want Alabama kind of getting in the way of that I don't want Dan Lanning at Alabama I, 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 will, I will say that that would that, that, that would that would be a, a more problematic hire for me than guys like Kiffin or Sarkeesian whose yeah. success I would say was probably less certain I totally agree and, and the energy level and the knowledge that Dan has and and, and listen Dan has eaten off the floor and this is, you know, this is where I kind of quell the the, the Glenn Schumann, um, you know, speculation. Glenn hasn't eaten off the floor. He's eaten at Alabama and he's eaten at Georgia. But but Dan Lanning is a guy that was starving for a job before. And and at some point, Glenn Schumann's going to get the opportunity to prove himself. And I think he'll be a fantastic coach. But Dan Lanning is a much more proven commodity. He's much more battle tested, especially now that he's been a head coach out there at Oregon, where he took over a culture that was, quite frankly, somewhat soft. And he he made the Ducks pretty hard. He took over a quarterback that was kind of broken in Bo Nix, and he fixed him up pretty good. Bo looked pretty good this season, I thought. So I'm with you, Brandon. We're in complete agreement. Uh, Dan Lanning is the one guy, the name that Georgia fans do not any, – any fans, college football fans. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an analogy here, and I'll probably lose half the audience when I do this, but I won't lose you. It's kind of like when Dale Earnhardt came out of the number three car. Kevin Harbick was a pretty good guy to put in that car behind him. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always happen that the next guy that takes the wheel of that fast car can drive it the same way. Yeah. Uh, but Dan Lanning is a guy that if you put him behind the wheel of that Alabama car, he's going to drive it deep into the turns, and he's going to go door-to-door with anybody. I think that's a pretty good analogy. Uh, let me finish with this, and this is total speculation, but I am curious of your opinion. There are people who are going to want to make the Saban retirement about – oh, it's a rebuke of the new system that's in place in college football, whatever you define as the new part of all of this. I think Deion Sanders even sort of made some sort of allusion to that. How much of this would you presume is about Saban being 70-plus years old and it's just sort of time and he wants to enjoy good health in retirement years? And how much of this is, I don't want to be a part of this sport with all of these changes. People are going to want to make it about that. Uh, at least some people are. Do you think there is anything to that? Steve Spurrier told me this a few years ago when I asked him when I thought Nick Saban would retire. He said he's going to keep coaching as long as he's got the best players. He doesn't have all the best players anymore, Brandon. Yeah. And that does have something to do with the state of the game. The coaches are no longer in control. Uh, the players are. That tyrannical style that led Nick Saban to championships no longer works. It doesn't translate. You saw that, the, and, and he was a different guy this year. He, he turned into everybody's grandfather, with, you know, and, and and that can only go so far. He's not the same guy, and the game's not the same. So the the, the game changed. Listen, at some point, Greg Maddox lost his control. At some point, Tiger Woods lost his consistency or his power off the tee. Um, Nick Saban lost his fastball. Alabama has not been the best program in the country. Since 2020, and quite frankly, the only reason they were that year is there were probably some inducements for five seniors to stay that probably would have normally gone pro. 
Alabama was beating people with retention. They weren't beating people with recruiting or coaching. They were beating people because they had five seniors that could have been drafted the year before in the first three rounds. That was the last great stand for Alabama. Georgia knocked Alabama off the pedestal in 2021. Georgia repeated as national champions in 2022. Alabama landed at last blow. They beat a, 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 a depleted Georgia team that ran out of gas. The schedule makers didn't help the dogs out. Go back and look at that November schedule and compare it to Alabama's. So, so Georgia ran out of gas, but then Michigan knocked him out. That, that wasn't a game where we said that was a fluke. Michigan was better than Alabama. That's why they won that game. Nick Saban no longer has the best program in college football. He has the most resources. He has the most money. He has the most power. He has people catering to him. He has the schedule makers. where, And he still didn't win at all, Brandon. It was time to go. He wasn't going to win another title. That's why Nick Saban's lead. And he sees that. And the beautiful thing is, here's the thing. He's, he's not dead. He's not going away. You're going to see him on game day. He's still going to control the narrative. We're still going to hear his philosophy. The statue's already been built. He's not going anywhere. He's still going to be making a ton of money. That's why it's like, I sat down last night, Brandon, I said to myself, I need to write a really nice. I said, no, I'm, I, I'm not feeling it. I, I don't, there's, no glorifying, there's no glorifying farewell. I don't need to tell everybody how many titles. He tells you every time. Game day won't let it go. Kirk Herbstreet's dancing on the set when he's winning games. I mean, college football's been a fan of Nick Saban. I don't know how much more, uh, you know, we can do to praise this guy. He, he did a great job. He's won more titles. Great. But he's not the best anymore. And he figured out it was time to go. As simple as that. Mike, we certainly appreciate your time on the program today. Uh, interesting perspective on what is one of the bigger stories we've seen come down the uh, the pipe here in quite some time. So we'll look forward to reading plenty more from you there at dognation.com. And, of course, have you back here on uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp again very soon as well. Appreciate it, Brandon. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, good stuff there with Mike Griffith. And speaking of good stuff, let's get ready to go cruising now around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Let's get you ready for the Dog Nation Cruise coming up in April. I had a fun conversation yesterday as it relates to the Dog Nation Cruise, getting everything kind of squared away for that. A lot of folks on board, more folks joining up. It's amazing how much new excitement, new energy there is about the Dog Nation Cruise once you turn that calendar to the brand new year. The way it kind of goes is is that we start talking about this kind of a year in advance and there's some early energy, early excitement. Then you kind of get into the sort of the grind of the season and people are thinking about other things. They're getting ready for the holidays. And it sort of feels like April of 2024 is a long way off. And yet once you turn that calendar to the brand new year, we are obviously in 2024 now. Well, now there's a way more renewed excitement in that Dog Nation cruise once again. And we're really seeing that in terms of the stateroom bookings and the folks kind of taking advantage of this last big push to be on board. So Jessica Slater, great travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. They believe that every Royal Caribbean cruise vacation made better when you have a great travel agent to help you plan it. And so Jessica's the one trusted by Royal Caribbean to help us plan our Dog Nation cruise. So you can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, jslater at dreamvacations.com. Ask her all the questions you have. But specifically, you can go to royaldogs.com. That's a website. Obviously, dog spelled the way it's supposed to be, D-A-W-G-S, royaldogs.com, to find out more information specifically about our Dog Nation cruise, first time ever on an Oasis-class ship, one of the largest at sea. Allure of the Seas. We're going to Nassau on the Bahamas. We're going to Perfect Day Coco Cay. We've got more specially themed 
Dog Nation events than ever before. It's going to be an amazing time. All right, it's also going to be an amazing time thinking about who the next Alabama football coach is going to be. Now, a lot of you know, I've said this plenty of times over the years, I love coaching searches. I love the rumors. I love the, would this so-and-so be a good fit? I just love all of that. I think that's really fun. And obviously, this is one of the most fun conversations we've ever had because Saban is the GOAT, and the next coach at Alabama has got such big shoes to fill. So who might it be? We said a little earlier in the show that, you know, one of the potential candidates, if you want to think about rising stars, not quite yet a head coach, someone like Glenn Schumann. Early chatter has Schumann kind of on the list. But we don't really hear that, you know, taking shape too much as of yet. The names I think you hear more prominently right now, guys like Dan Lanning in Oregon, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, uh, Lane Kiffin, obviously, at Ole Miss. These are some of the early names that are out there. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. In the case of Lane Kiffin, what I wonder about is, for a guy who has been as active in the transfer portal this offseason as Kiffin has been, is that some sort of foreshadowing from him that he knows he's not going to be Alabama coach in 2024? Because my guess is the reaction and the uh, uh, the sort of interaction that Kirby and Saban had in the clip we played for you to begin our show today, it certainly seems like Kirby could have been aware this was possibly Saban's last season. If Kirby thought that, the other coaches on that kind of text thread with him, uh, they're always you know sharing stuff back and forth with each other. Perhaps they could have known as well. It would not be impossible to think that Kiffin knew Saban was going to retire, but when you're getting the Ole Miss you know, NIL folks to give as much money as they've given and, and kind of pushing that as hard as you've pushed it, is that a signal that Kiffin knows he's not going to be Alabama coach in 2024? Or does Kiffin just simply not care and he'll get the Ole Miss folks to do whatever and then just leave him high and dry to go to Alabama? Obviously, Kiffin's past suggests that's certainly a possibility. In the case of Steve Sarkeesian, you know, prior to this year, I think you would have said for Sarkeesian that as a head coach, he's probably below the level of what Alabama would require. This was a guy that you know did not have great success at USC, was only okay as a Washington head coach, pushing aside whatever you know kind of personal issues that he's been open and discussing and seemingly uh, kind of moving on from. Um, just the actual results on field were a pretty mixed bag for Sarkeesian overall. But that's kind of changed now. You know, Sarkeesian did win the Big 12 in Texas' final year in that league. They did make the college football playoff. They played a tough, hard-fought game against Washington the other night. That if Sarkeesian was a real candidate for the Alabama job, I would say now he's got the kind of resume that could perhaps get him hired. Not a slam dunk. It's not obvious that he'd be successful. But of all the offensive coordinators, Lane Kiffin included, that Nick Saban brought through his time at Tuscaloosa, I believe the single best was Sarkeesian in terms of the impact that he made on the games. Now, the absolute single best hire, I believe, that Alabama probably could make. In fact, as someone who's a pretty obvious Georgia partisan, the one hire I don't want them to make is Dan Lanning. Now, it's not obvious to me that Lanning would leave Oregon right now because I think that Oregon could perhaps be positioned to be the best program in the Big Ten moving forward. And I say that knowing full well what Michigan and Ohio State have been. I believe that's how well set up for success Oregon might be. There's probably less pressure on Lanning right now at Oregon. And there seems to be a very ready supply of the kind of funds that get you quality transfers and big-time high school recruits that Lanning's got a pretty good thing in Eugene, Oregon right now. But if you want to be the best, the SEC is the league you want to be in, and perhaps following Nick Saban's the kind of thing you're not afraid to do. 
I respect Lanning enough to say I hope that Dan Lanning is not the next coach at Alabama. Uh, but obviously, if that's what I don't want, then perhaps that's what Alabama should want more than anything else. We'll see if they're able to get that. Beyond that, we're already starting to see some reverberations through all of this. We've already seen Alabama's first decommitment here. It's Ryan Williams in the class of 2024, who's obviously going to make his decision coming up in February. A uh, pretty big deal here to start to see, you know, some of these dominoes, you know, starting to fall of, you know, perhaps big time recruits just not viewing Alabama the same way with Nick Saban no longer there. I know Mason Short, the offensive line commit to Alabama of the class of 2025, you know, he kind of put out a very cryptic message there as well of, you know, no, no comments at this time. So a lot of big time recruits going to be rethinking the situation at Alabama in light of the Nick Saban retirement, which will be open season on 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 those uh, flips, perhaps from George and a lot of these other programs there too, it could get real interesting real fast on the recruiting front. And then there's also the issue with the Alabama roster overall. There's always uh, confusion right now because the rules are so weird in terms of when you can and cannot transfer. But it is widely believed. In fact, I'll show you this. Uh, 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 Rivals putting this out that Alabama players now have 30 days into the transfer portal. In other words. When your, co- when your head coach leaves, that opens a new portal window for you here. And so Bama players do have an additional 30 days now to transfer. The previous transfer window closed January 2nd, but there was, uh, what, a uh, five-day or five-day grace period, I think it was five days, uh, after your bowl game beyond that January 2nd deadline. So Bama's clock didn't start until, you know, kind of, you know, after their uh, game on January 1st. But now it's an additional 30 days for Bama players currently on the roster to transfer. But that's not necessarily what it's all cracked up to be because transferring requires a couple of things. It's not just the freedom to leave your current school, your current team. It's also the ability to get to a new program. And the biggest issue facing all of that's going to be if you're a Bama player, you want to play somewhere else. School is essentially starting in other places. And it's been a long time since I've been a you know, college student, but you're going to have to go through like drop ad to get classes, to get accepted into school. And, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, I have to confess that if Nick Saban timed his announcement to make it difficult for Alabama players to transfer out, on the one hand, it sort of seems like the sort of shrewd thing that Nick Saban would do. On the other hand, <laughs> that's not exactly the coolest thing to do for these players currently on that roster. It's one of those things that, you know, if, if you're – if you're an Alabama player, you're sort of wondering, did you sort of stick it to me in the way out the door here? You know, Saban, a great coach. Sometimes I'm not quite so sure how good of a guy he actually is. And uh, this may be perhaps an example of that. But at least by the letter of the law, there is a transfer period open to these Alabama players if they do want to leave, if they do want to go somewhere else. But they're going to have to work pretty hard to get accepted into a new school and get into classes here as these semesters across the rest of the country are getting ready to get going. So a lot to consider with all of that. And obviously, there'll be many more days of discussion on this as this story continues to unfold. But for now, we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And before we wrap up today, I alluded to this a little earlier. So it has always been my dream during the uh, Dog Nation Daily era, which began in 2015, to have something other than a football team to talk about. Now, listen, our show would always be 99.9% football content-wise because that's what the audience wants, and this is not a hobby. This is a you know this is a business, and so therefore we're going to serve the needs of the audience. The audience wants to talk about football, so therefore we do it. But we really haven't had a really good non 
football story for almost the entire time we've been doing the show. Georgia basketball right now kind of has the look of being that. Uh, they won again last night against Arkansas. They've got number five Tennessee. I, I know you know recently lost, but number five Tennessee coming in on Saturday. I'm going to the game, taking my family to the game. I'm pretty fired up about this Georgia basketball team right now. This is by far and away the the best Georgia basketball team that has been in place since we've been doing Dog Nation Daily. And so, you know, if you've been knee deep in college football, we all have. Perhaps if you haven't paid attention to Georgia basketball in a good number of years. This team might be worth your attention. Uh, Mike White's got them playing a, a pretty good brand of basketball. Got a big man. Uh, this is a fun team right now. Worth your time. And uh, we'll never be like basketball show here. We're a football show. But that doesn't mean we can't be rooting for, a, for another Georgia team. And right now, I'm rooting pretty hard for this Georgia basketball team, who I would say right now, on the looks of how things are going, long winning streak, a uh, couple of games already in hand in the SEC, this is the kind of team that has a shot to uh, make the NCAA tournament, which is a pretty big uh, accomplishment for Georgia teams here right now. And so with that, we'll wrap things up here today. And as you might imagine, a couple of uh, Nick Saban-themed golden shoes here. I'll show you the first one on the screen. Nikki uh, writing in to say, I just want to be the first to say it, B.A. He gives the hashtag Dog Nation Daily. And I love this. It's the national championship hat. I believe this is from 2021. But he's covered up the year 2021. He's put 2024 on there, so Nikki becomes the first to kind of call his shot. Georgia to win the national championship in 2024. Nick Saban will be watching on television, as he has been uh, for most of the last few national championship games. And uh, Nikki's got Georgia winning that one there. So, Nikki, we'll give you a golden shoe for your opinion. Also, there's this. And this requires a little bit of explanation. So there's all these, like, T-shirt bot things now that are, you know, trying to get in there and mentions on Twitter and stuff and sell T-shirts. And the image that they've kind of created, I guess, using AI is Nick Saban holding up his hand to his face with all the championship rings. And a lot of you know Bama fans have been sharing this picture. Well, Jeff Doak wrote in to say, just to keep things in perspective, not about Nick Saban. So you've got all the championship rings, but Jeff's got all the caveats here. 2020 COVID year, 2017, uh, Tyler Simmons was onside. Uh, 2015, Kirby was Alabama's defensive coordinator. 2012, 2011, Kirby was Alabama's defensive coordinator. 2009, Kirby was still Alabama's defensive coordinator. So Jeff Doak having some fun, putting some asterisks next to the Alabama National Championships. I find that to be very funny. Jeff will give you a golden shoe there as well. Lousy, stinking Gators. How does the Nick Saban firing, or should say retirement, impact them? Not at all, because they're not relevant enough for it to matter. And it's been 1,160 days since they've beaten Georgia. To give you an idea how things have how bad things have been and it only gets worse in the future that is good news appreciate you being here we'll see you tomorrow dog nation daily presented by meriwether and tharp